Welcome to the Heartbeat Church Podcast. Our vision is for people to live in the image God intended them to be in. For more information visit heartbeatchurch.org.au Book of Revelation, probably one of the most complex and confusing books that Christians will experience. And so in order to kind of help us to get a better understanding of this book, I'm going to break up. This was a lecture I actually did for our staff uh, mid last year. I'm going to break it up into three parts. It's an overview of the book. Try to give you a bit of an understanding before we start to dive in deeper into this book. Before we do it, I think we should pray because this is a book which is quite confusing. But if you understand its message, it is utterly life transforming for it tells us god is victorious he will defeat evil so you join in me as we pray lord we thank you for your word even at times when it is complex and we do not understand it yet it is still god breathed yet still tells us about who you are and who you are lord is that you are sovereign you are reigning you are ruling and you have defeated evil so in giving this message to John, he told those seven churches that you have defeated evil, that evil would not have the final stand. So it would help us to find that comfort in our situation, Lord, in a world which is still suffering and hurting. Lord, we just pray for your help in understanding this. In the name of Jesus. Amen. In order to understand the book of Revelation, we need to understand the world it was written in. At the end of the first century, Rome had covered all the known world at that time. Europe, North America, North Africa, the Middle East were all under the rule of Rome. Rome, the empire without end. The empire that had been given by the supreme god Jupiter himself. Rome, who was thought, would never, ever collapse. 120 years prior to Revelation being written, Caesar Augustus in 27 BC became the first Roman emperor, but also became the first emperor in the ancient world to achieve what no one had been able to do, to bring peace to the empire. Prior to that, wars and conflict raged between different nation-states. Before Roman rule, pirates dominated the ocean, bandits on the roads. The world was a dangerous place. And when Caesar Augustus came along, he enacted what was known as the Pax Romana, or the Peace of Rome. And the Pax Romana was considered to be a miracle in itself. To live in a place which was at peace was unheard of for citizens. To be able to experience political, social and economic development, this was a miracle. And for her citizens, the Roman Empire was an immense blessing upon the world. 
But in order to maintain an empire of this size, it was no, it was no easy task. Rome had to ruthlessly quash any threats made against her. Anyone that dared to rear their head up and declare themselves to be a different king, a different overlord, to fight against Roman power had to be ruthlessly quashed. And Rome did that through the use of her very, very effective army who specialised in gruesome and publicly humiliating execution. But Rome wasn't totally barbaric in enforcing its peace. They actually offered out a number of benefits to those who served under its rulership. Considering that they thought Jupiter was the one who'd given them the divine rule, those who worshipped Roman gods were given special privileges. And those providences and cities that showed great loyalty to Rome, they were given special treatment. In fact, within the province of Asia Minor, where the seven churches that John wrote to were located, there was competition amongst them for who would show the most loyalty to the empire. For those that did it were able to ensure that they were given privileges economic privileges, social privileges, and employment privileges. And for those cities that showed their experience, they showed their dedication to Rome, they were given greater honour and status of having the statue of the emperor in their temple or within their city gates. Part of, part of encouraging this process of dedication to Rome, what was something known as the imperial cult. The Roman Senate, after different, empires, different emperors had died, they would be worshipped as gods. And the worship of Roman emperors was akin to paying taxes in our modern era. In order to ensure that Rome had peace, the gods needed to be appeased. So what you would do is that you would worship either the the now deceased emperor as a god or the Roman gods as a way to ensure that the peace of the Roman Empire was maintained. But 30 years before Revelation was penned, the eternal empire, Rome, felt like that perhaps things could collapse. When the rule of a man named Nero came along, Nero was known for being a man who was deeply insane. And he was actually suspected of lighting the great fire of Rome. Now, the Emperor Nero blamed the fires of Rome upon a new group that had emerged within his empire the Christians. And under Emperor Nero, Christians experienced some of the worst persecution they had ever seen. According to church history, it was under Nero that the apostles Peter and Paul were both martyred. Many Christians lost their lives in the Colosseum under gladiators or lions, or they were barbecued alive to light up Nero's garden parties at night. 
Now, being the insane emperor that he was, eventually in the year 68 AD, Nero was declared to be public enemy. And in order to avoid the disgrace of being dethroned, Nero killed himself. Now, this led to a series of events one year later in AD 69, known as the Year of the Four Emperors or the Roman Civil War, where four emperors fought for the right to be ruling over Rome. And it seemed in 69 AD that the eternal empire was about to collapse on itself. When all seemed lost, Emperor Vespasian marched into Rome with his army, assumed control of the situation and brought the empire back from the ashes. Rome had been reborn. Now, for whatever reason, rumours began to spread that despite Nero dying, that he would come back to life. And that, in fact, that he would come back from the region of the Parivians, the dreaded enemies of the Roman Empire. Now, as Rome continued along after Vestasian, eventually in the year 81 AD, another emperor came along, a man known as Domitian. Now, Emperor Domitian, according to the Roman historian Suetonius, demanded that he be called Lord God. It's very interesting because most Roman emperors became gods after they were dead. But Domitian saw himself as being divine while he was alive. Now, naturally, Domitian's stance that he be addressed as Lord God came into conflict with this Christian group. For Christians saw that only one man was Lord God, Jesus of Nazareth. It was Jesus, not Caesar who was Lord God. And Domitian led another persecution against the church. And Domitian himself quickly became known as the second Nero. Now, as as Domitian's rule continued to be solidified, Domitian built temples in both Ephesus and Laodicea. He arranged a statue of himself in the city of Pergernium. And his coin, the coins of him, were minted that Domitian is Lord. Now, all those cities mentioned, they are cities that John writes into his churches who were suffering from persecution. Now, it's very, very interesting. The Romans were not intolerant of other religions. They required the the religion to change the name of their gods to fit in with their practices. But they merely just wanted them to incorporate the worship of their gods in the pantheon of Roman religion. But with Christians, things were different. Rome had tolerance, but its tolerance had 
limits. And Christians had breached these limits. For Christians confessed faith in a crucified man and worshipped him as Lord. And if all Rome's Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, was dependent upon the well-being of the gods, then Christians were blamed for when anything wrong happened in Rome. For Christians were not abiding by the cultural narrative. They weren't worshipping the gods. They were doing their own thing. In fact, what was seen as normal practice to go to the temple and worship the Roman gods, the Christians actually described that as harlotry, as adultery, as a sin. And when things started to go wrong in the Roman Empire, everyone's blame, everyone's finger pointed blame at the Christians who failed to worship the emperor and Roman gods. All that's to give you a bit of a background into the world where the apostle John was writing. In about the year 95 to 96 AD, John was exiled on the island of Patmos. And it was there he saw this remarkable vision a vision which described the end of Rome, who is personified as this great harlot. But the problem as Christians face wasn't just the Roman Empire and the persecution that it brought. There was persecution from Jewish communities, from internal battles in church congregations. And there was always the temptation to assimilate to the culture around them. The book of Revelation, it was written to a group of people who were suffering tremendously. And how eventually God would bring great victory against evil. Now admittedly, Revelation, it is a mystery. It has strange symbols, it has strange signs, it has colourful metaphors, cryptic numbers, strange beasts. And it is baffling and it is very, very difficult to understand. One commentator, G.K. Chesterton, once remarked, though St. John the Evangelist saw many strange monsters in his vision, he saw no creature so wild as one of his own commentators. Now, most people interpretate Revelation through four different ways. They see it here, preterist, which essentially just means everything John saw happened in the past and there is no future application. The opposite is futurist, where John saw events that were completely in the future and can only be understood normally by looking at events in our current situation. Often seems to correlate very well with 20th century events, such as World War I, World War II, and the Cold War. Or there is the historical perspective, which sees this as describing the events from Jesus' first coming all the way to his second coming. Or there's an idealistic view where it sees as a describing the conflict between God and Satan that will happen throughout all the ages. But one of the best ways to read Revelation is to understand its historical context. What 
would John's listeners have thought when they heard this stuff being read to them? And of course, when one looks at Revelation, we have the traditional millennial arguments. Arguments about pre-millennial, where all these events will happen pre-Christ's millennial reign, post-millennial, where it will happen afterwards, or a-millennial. And we'll go into that stuff later. But this is all some of the conflicts that Christians have in coming to this book. One of the things we have to understand is that Revelation is apocalyptic literature. And essentially, apocalyptic literature, it states that there is something deeply wrong with this world. And the only way for the problems to be overcome is if God intercedes in this world. And one of the critical characteristics of apocalyptic literature is that a prophet or a seer has a vision. And in this vision, he has a heavenly messenger guiding him, telling him what is about to happen. The book of Revelation is not the first genre of apocalyptic literature we have. We find it multiple times in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, in the book of Zechariah. And there are actually many Jewish apocalyptic um, prophecies recounted which weren't considered to be Scripture. But what is unique about Revelation is that Christians consider this to be the final book of the Bible. And as the final book of the Bible, it has something very, very important to say. And for John's listeners who are suffering tremendously, ever be from the Roman Empire, from their neighbour who hates them, from Jewish communities, or from fighting within churches, all of the symbols, all of the images, all of the numbers, all of that points to God being in control over this world. Revelation is addressed to seven specific churches. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And later on, we'll go into each of these churches and the different strengths and the different weaknesses each of these churches has. But basically, Jesus takes specific cultural landmark and the events that they're happening and he gives a message of either comfort a rebuke or an exhortation to keep going now despite its lack of coherence despite its appearance i should say of its lack of coherence revelation is actually a very very well designed literary structure there is actually a plot. There is actually a purpose. There is actually a reason behind this book. And one of the biggest ways to, one of the most helpful ways to understand this book is to look at the context of the number seven. Seven is what defines this book. There are seven beatitudes, seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. The number seven just permeates throughout this book and seven points to perfection this is the perfect final revelation for god's people 
Another very, very popular misconception is to think the book acts in a chronological pattern, that we start here at point A, and then we end here at point B. And we have seals, we have trumpets, and we have bowls. And the assumption is for us as Western readers is that when we read about the seven seals, then we next read about the seven trumpets, and then we read about the seven bowls. What is actually happening is what authors called recapitulation or summary, which is a very, very fancy way of saying what we get is we say here with the seals, we get a look at events from this sort of lens. And then later on the trumpets, we look at those same events, but with a broader perspective. And the same happens here with the bowls. We have broader and different perspectives. Basically, the book of Revelation is telling us all the same things, but from different angles. And as I said multiple times, the book essentially is telling us that God will eradicate evil. And evil is in the form of Rome, which is personified as Babylon. And Babylon represents all the evil of the Old Testament. And when God has defeated Babylon, that is in effect saying all evil in itself will be defeated. That's how the book of Revelation is structured. It is admittedly a difficult book to get your head around. Once you kind of understand how it's been structured, once you understand that it's not just telling us from point A to point B, that we're actually looking at the same events from different perspectives, different angles. Now, ultimately, all it's reinforcing is the defeat of Babylon, which is the personification of Rome. Its message actually starts to get a little bit simpler for us. And one of the reasons why John has done this, why we get these different perspectives on events, is that repetition is critical in ancient societies where people could not read or write. Now, I think at that point now I might just leave us here. That's probably enough information to digest at the moment. So I'll give you kind of these summaries for the next few weeks before we get into it. If you actually have any questions, please come up and tell me. I actually love it when people have questions, when people want to give me, challenge me with things. But that's kind of your take-home message. We'll go back over it. Take-home message is Roman Empire, Pax Romana, considered to be a miracle. We have Emperor Nero who brought great persecution there was the second coming of Nero, Nero to be revived. Emperor Domitian was seen as the second Nero. He was called Lord God. That conflicts with the Christian view that Jesus Christ is Lord God. The book of Revelation is describing the destruction of Babylon. It's not point A to point B, but it tells different events, the same events from different angles. I think that's probably enough for you guys to process right now. How about I pray for you, and then we'll finish up with our final song. So will you join me as we pray? Father, we thank you 
for your word. We thank you just for this book of Revelation, Lord, as we've just gone over some of the summary of the history behind it, Lord, and how you've structured it. We pray, Lord, that it can give us a deeper insight, particularly for those that don't understand it, Lord, and to not be afraid of what its message is. And so, Lord, help us to be reminded this week as we look at the news, as we see the destruction of bushfires, of volcanoes, of floods, that ultimately you have defeated Babylon. So give us great comfort in that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Heartbeat Church podcast. For more information about services, ministries and sermons, visit heartbeatchurch.org.au.